0: Good afternoon. Uh, This is Jeff Smelser next in Pennsylvania and Chase Byers in Fishers, Indiana. Uh, How are you doing today, Chase? I'm great. You know,
1: you haven't had any trouble whatsoever remembering what city I'm in now
0: no it's a whole lot easier (laughs) that that h place in pennsylvania that was confusing yeah that was hard for you the capital of where you live (laughs) uh joe works is not with us today he um lord willing will be back with us next week but we are in the book of acts and we are in acts chapter 15 today uh we got started so chase you know we saw paul and barnabas make this um trip Uh, They went over to Cyprus and then headed up to modern day Turkey. And especially we think of the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derby, where they preached the gospel and they preached to a lot of Gentiles. In fact, in several places they were persecuted by Jews. And um, so the gospel has been being spread amongst Gentiles. They came back to their home base in Antioch of Syria and some disciples come up from Jerusalem to Antioch of Syria and say, these people talking about the Gentiles has to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas said, uh, to paraphrase, no way, Jose. And they went down to Jerusalem uh, to deal with this problem because that's where these people came from that were, were espousing this idea. In their mind, the kingdom is a Jewish kingdom. And if you want to be in it, you've got to be Jewish. And so Paul and Barnabas go back down to Jerusalem. And last week, we kind of summarized the speeches of Peter uh, Paul and Barnabas and James, all of whom argued this is not right. Uh, but today, let's go back and look at those in a little more detail. Does that suit you? Yeah, that sets it up really well. That's how we left it. You, you know, it, it's all about what suits you. So you just let us know if that suits right. you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll be quick to let you know. All right. Okay. Um, the, the first one who's described as speaking up uh, after some people in Jerusalem, do um, make this case that the the Gentiles have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, and that's in verse five. So they gather to discuss this, and, and Peter in verse seven stands up. And of course, uh, why don't you just summarize for us what Peter does? Make any points you think we need to think about. Uh, what event does he go back to to show that this idea that Gentiles have to be converted to Judaism is wrong?
1: yeah you know so i think we anticipate peter to stand up from our previous reading in the book of acts i think any student that gets to chapter 15 goes well when is peter going to stand up and say something (laughs) because there were two whole chapters dedicated to this very topic back at the end of saul's conversion in chapter 9 it kind of turns attention to peter and he's doing some preaching and teaching but he ends up going to a household of a guy named cornelius who was a gentile and he's described to somebody who gave alms to God and to the Jewish people. He prayed to God. He feared God. And Peter is end up going to this guy's house and teaches him about Jesus being the Lord and Savior of all the earth. And Peter baptizes him. And the Holy Spirit has come down on Cornelius and his household. And one of the things that Peter will say is that God is not one to show any partiality, but to anyone who fears him is welcome to him. And so Peter had a big learning experience himself in chapter 10 uh with cornelius and then that whole event is kind of talked about in jerusalem in the very next chapter in chapter 11 right
0: yeah the whole story is recapitulated
1: yeah exactly and so peter knew this and a lot of the people in jerusalem knew that at that time so i guess i got a question for you jeff how much time passed between then and where we're at now
0: do you know uh, let's ask joe when he gets back next week okay right. that sounds good. <laughs> I, I, I don't know we can you okay. know the, the, we could go over to galatians and we might we might piece it together because you've got some years in galatians chapter one but to do that you have to make some assumptions about how to correlate galatians one with acts and i think i i think i've settled on how that correlation works but it's a little bit uncertain so well peter has a couple things in his argument um
1: let's read that in verse seven after there had been much debate peter stood up and said to them brothers you are aware that in the early days god made a choice among you that by my mouth the gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe uh, we will stop there what do you think about that verse do you
0: think he's referring to something specific jeff yeah yeah um he's talking about that event in acts chapter 10 when Uh, The Holy Spirit had said to Peter, go with them, nothing doubting for I have sent them. God sent Peter to talk to Cornelius. He had told Cornelius through an angel, send a job and fetch Peter who will preach words to you whereby you'll be saved. Peter went and it was even though there had been Samaritans who had been baptized earlier in Acts chapter eight and so on. This was kind of an inaugural event for including Gentiles in the kingdom, uh, because up to this point, Peter himself didn't seem to get that. And it was the events of Acts chapter 10, his seeing all the animals that were clean and unclean and being told, rise, kill and eat. And he thinks this is just about the animals and says, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. He's told, don't you call common or unclean what God has cleansed. And he's trying to figure out what that means. And then the Holy Spirit tells him, go with these Gentiles to this Gentiles home. And he gets there and yeah. he says to Cornelius and the people who were gathered, you yourselves know how to, it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to join himself or to come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me. And then he goes ahead to explain. So so the point being, this was new to Peter. It was new to the disciples who traveled with him. And uh, it was the work of the Holy Spirit coming upon the house of Cornelius, that finally convinced them all peter kind of got it just before that and then all of that as you said had to be rehearsed again for the disciples down in jerusalem so that they would understand this so to your question what's he referring to here in Acts chapter 15 and verse uh, seven that when he says god made choice among you that by my mouth the gentiles you hear the word of, of, of gospel and belief he's referring to when this inaugural introduction of Gentiles into the kingdom took place in Acts 10 by Peter's mouth.
1: Yeah, and so the very thing you said there kind of toward the end about the Holy Spirit coming on them as well. Now Peter makes reference to that in verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us also. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. And so now Peter, it's kind of cool, he's making the case to them that we shouldn't be surprised that it's happening this way because it's by faith that he's asking them to believe. And it was the same thing for us as well. So verse 10, Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. So now it kind of feels like Peter is attacking the teaching of Judaism, or Judaizing rather, that you have to obey the law in order to be a faithful christian and he's saying no we're saved by faith through the grace of jesus christ and the gentiles are too that's exactly right
0: yeah now one one so, other point. yeah no go ahead i was going to say so
1: peter he kind of kills three or four birds with one stone uh, in, in his talk here <laughs>
0: okay um, one other point that is real quick um today there are people who insist you don't have to be baptized to be saved and one of the passages they'll turn to is acts 10 and they'll say see Cornelius right. got the holy spirit before he was baptized and the assumption they're making is when Peter got the holy spirit that saved him but this passage right here again as acts 10 and acts 11 do, as acts 10 and 11 do this passage right here makes it clear the purpose of the holy spirit coming upon Cornelius and his, and his household was to bear witness to the fact that Gentiles could be part of the kingdom. That's not what saved them. It says their hearts were cleansed right. by faith. Back in Acts yes. 11, we're told the angel had said to Cornelius, send to job and fetch Peter who will preach to you words whereby you'll be saved. Um, so so uh, that's, that's kind of an important point. So it's a, it's a little off topic in that. We're talking about a, a um, misunderstanding of Acts 10 and 11 rather than a, an understanding of it. But anyway, did we get a programming note? Chase, <laughs> center your camera. <laughs> oh, man. Okay.
1: All right. We did get yeah. a program. No, I'm note. Jeff. <laughs> no. Uh, But yeah, so Peter, as far as I'm concerned, this would kind of put the nail in the coffin for me. Like, yeah, you're right. We kind of already dealt with all this back then, and it's pretty consistent. So what else is there to say? And it almost seems like that's how they're responding. In verse 12, it says, the whole assembly became silent. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Like we talked about last week, Jeff. Uh, This was consistent for Paul, even on his way up from Antioch to Jerusalem. I mean, at no point did he stop talking about the grace of God or stop talking about these miracles and signs that God was doing. His faith and conscience was not altered at all by these so-called teachers from Jerusalem. He knew what he saw and he knew what the spirit was doing. And so he gets up in verse 12, him and Barnabas, and they, you know, retell those same things.
0: Yeah, good. Okay. All right. So then that brings us to James.
1: Yeah, it brings us to James. So, James so quotes, in verse 13. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I apologize. You got it. You got it. So after this, James is going to stand up. And it's probably good for us to take a second. You want to do it now or later and talk about who this James is?
0: Ah, right, let's do it now.
1: Okay. So a lot of James in the Bible, right, Jeff? Let's see if you and yeah. I can make the list of probably the main ones. So you've got James, the son of Zebedee, right? And we yeah. read about him in chapter 12. He's dead now. But he was beheaded, yeah. right? Not alive. And then there's James, the lesser James, the son of Alphaeus, yeah. um, who was another apostle, and the last time we heard him mentioned was in James, was in Acts chapter one, uh, when it kind mm-hmm. of relisted that the apostles there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but other than that, are there any other James in the Bible that I'm, I'm missing? Well,
0: there is. There is one other James that, that we want to mention. And that's yeah. James, uh, the
1: Lord's brother, right?
0: James, James, the Lord's brother. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you'll find his name not only here and also what I think is in the book of James, but you guys might also remember in Matthew 13 or in Mark 6 that Jesus had a brother whose name was James. And in John 7 and verse 5, I think it is, it states that his brothers did not believe in Jesus, Mm -hmm. but it clears up for us later in 1 Corinthians 15 that um Jesus had appeared to his brother James. Mm -hmm. And uh in Galatians, I believe Paul talks about having spent time with James, the Lord's brother. Yeah. So there's a brother of Jesus named James who ends up becoming a believer. And uh I have reason to believe that's who this particular one is.
0: Yeah, I, I this is I do too, I agree with you. And I think it's fascinating. You go from John chapter seven where Jesus brothers it doesn't specify james it just says jesus brothers but may well have included james are kind of mocking him they don't believe in him in fact the text says they didn't believe in him and and now he becomes a very prominent uh, advocate of jesus as the christ here amongst the disciples in jerusalem and he stands up and has somewhat to say
1: okay now, why do i have it in my head that he's an elder here at this church
0: well okay um flip over to acts chapter 21 and it's verse 17 and 18 this is when paul returns to jerusalem at the end of his third journey and it says and when we this is acts chapter 21 verse 17 when we were come to jerusalem the brethren received us gladly and the day following paul went in with us unto james and all the elders were present now you could read that um to james and besides james all the elders were present well then why would james have been there it it sounds more like he's one of the elders and he is so prominent that he is mentioned by name and, but it's also made clear that all the elders were present. So I think that mm-hmm. would, I think that argues for James being one of the elders in the church in Jerusalem.
1: Thank you. I had forgotten about that reference. So James stands up and he has a, a good bit. He wants to say about all this. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is he isn't standing up and saying, "All right, well, now let me give my opinion on the matter, or, oh, let me just come in and just give my take on everything. But James actually comes in and he says in verse um, in verse thirteen, after they stopped speaking, James responded, "Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's referring to Peter, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the prophets agree with this as it is written, After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent and I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city and every Sabbath day. He is read aloud in the synagogues. Uh, Before we kind of get into what James says here, it looks like we do have a comment. Um, Comment says most people don't accept the fact that Mary had other children. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so as we're talking about James, the Lord's brother, I think there's a few key passages to keep in mind. In Matthew one, after uh, it talks about Jesus, uh, Mary getting pregnant with Jesus. It says that he kept her, Joseph, kept her a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. And so, Jeff, I mean, you don't have to be an English scholar to figure out what the text is saying there. Uh, the implication is, is just like anyone else would when they were married, they would have intercourse yeah. and they would get pregnant and they would have children. Yeah. And so why would the case that be not to be the case for Joseph and Mary? And so the text is saying, look, he kept her a virgin until she gave birth. And after that, uh, they did what married people do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And my understanding of people wanting to teach the perpetual virginity of Mary is they say in order for her to have brought in a completely sinless child into the earth, she would have had to have been kept perpetually a virgin. Am I right? Is that kind of the idea behind that teaching?
0: You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not okay. sure.
1: <laughs> um, from my from my studies life. with Catholic people, that's what I'm trying to say okay. for, for my studies with catholic people that's what they had always told me but there's nothing wrong or sinful with mary having had more children um you know well, that was actually gospel.
0: This, you alluded to this earlier the references in the gospels where it tells us of his brothers and sisters and i'm going to take a moment to go back to them one is in matthew chapter 12 you mentioned mark's account but in matthew chapter 12 uh it says in verse 46 while he was yet speaking to the multitudes behold his mother And his this version says his brethren his brothers his siblings stood without seeking to speak to him and one said to him behold your mother and your brethren stand without seeking to speak to you now people who believe that mary was a perpetual virgin and had no other children they would try to explain this as brothers in the sense of relatives um but that doesn't seem to be the way this is talking about his family is looking for his, his immediate family looking for him. Verse 48, he answered and said to him that told him who is my mother and who are my brethren. And he stretched forth his hands towards his disciples and said, "Behold, my mother and my brethren. All right. So he makes the point, my spiritual family is, is my real family, but he had a physical family that was there looking for him. Then we turn to Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 54, it says coming into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue in so much that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren or siblings, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? That sure sounds like they're talking about this is a kid we know, we saw him grow grow up. He's Joseph's son, the, the carpenter. You know that guy, the, the guy who builds stuff. And and we know his mother, and, and we know his his brothers and his sisters and names them. In fact, James is mentioned here. So the text if you just take the text at face value, it's pretty clear he had brothers and sisters, and James was one of them. We're gonna yeah. comment uh, about comments. We're going to encourage people to make comments. Yeah, no, go right ahead. That's a good idea. All right. So uh, Drew DeGrado likes for us to remember to to ask you people to um, like, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. And uh, you'll you'll get notices of our webcast each week. And also if you have comments as the, whoever was listening and sent us that comment about people who believe that Jesus had no earthly siblings, we we appreciate that too. That's especially helpful comment because it's, it's something that we would not have talked about, but it's related to what we're talking about in as much as we were talking about James. So appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So
1: coming back to James and what he has to say, he really just starts off by saying guys we shouldn't be surprised that this is Peter's experience with things because the scriptures confirm exactly what he's talking about and he quotes here from Amos the ninth chapter if I'm not mistaken right Jeff correct yeah and uh, it looks like the phrase he's zeroing in on is specifically in verse 17 of of this um, in Acts 15 That the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all of the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Um, Don't be surprised is basically what James is saying here. It was always God's plan for the Gentiles to be able to turn to God and be a part of this kingdom that was coming and and is now here that Jesus came to set up and that he died for. And so we shouldn't be surprised by this. And so don't cause any difficulties for the Gentiles because this was always God's plan. Yeah, but Jeff, to me, the thing that always stands out when you zoom out and see what they did, when the early church leaders put their head around this issue, none of them submitted their own opinion of things. Each of them came through with what God's will was clearly stating. Yeah, God's will clearly stated through Peter and through that dream he saw that you recounted for us, Jeff, from Acts ten and eleven. Uh huh. That. No man should be, you know, um, Peter couldn't show partiality toward any man in regard to the salvation of God and that he can go to anyone. God revealed that to Peter, and that was his will. You see the same thing with Paul and Barnabas through the miracles. That was God's will clearly stated. And then even James, he doesn't even submit his own opinion, but he goes back to Amos 9 and says, look what God said here. We shouldn't be surprised. So I don't know about you, Jeff, but I find a really helpful principle there churches, whenever they're trying to decide something or figure something out, we should put our head around what God's will is as it's revealed to us, so that we can find an answer.
0: That's a that's an that's an excellent point. It, too often we forget to open our Bibles when we're and we just start thinking, well, what makes sense to us? What do we think will work? or yeah. What how, what's what? I one of the things that I hear, you know, well, the way we did it back in the church where I went before I moved here, you know what? Let's let's not go there. <laughs> Well,
1: and I like I kind of I want to go back to how you said that. What makes sense to us? What made sense to the Jews? Well, to the Jews, they're like, if God made us follow this thing for two thousand years, it would make sense to us that anyone else who wants to follow Him is going to have to follow it too. That makes sense to us, but that's not what God wanted. And so, just because we might think it and it makes sense in our head, like you said, that doesn't make it so.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to spend any time on it here, but just glancing real quickly. It appears James quotes Amos from the Septuagint, which reads a little bit. OK, that there's not it's not a contradiction. It's it it's but it is clearer in the Septuagint. Um, it, 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 let's put it this way. If I wanted to make the case that God meant the Gentiles to be part of the kingdom um, and I want to go to the prophets and want to go go to Amos 9 to do it. I could argue it from the Hebrew text, but it's more clear uh, and emphatic in the in the Septuagint. And James quotes the Septuagint. I'm not going to debate which is the more accurate here: our Hebrew text of Amos 9 or the Septuagint. But all I'm just doing is just mentioning there are times when writers in the New Testament quoted the Greek text of the Old Testament scriptures, um, and 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 you see that it was it was worthy of of uh, relying on put it that way yeah no i
1: appreciate you bringing that up i hadn't noticed that this was a a rendition from the uh, septuagint that's really cool to know yeah so Uh, jeff let me ask you what do you what do you make of what he does say the gentiles need to follow in verse 20.
0: yeah that's you know i'm glad you asked because i think that certainly in the protestant world this is largely misunderstood um and, and so let's take a look at that. In verse 19, he says, wherefore my judgment is, in other words, Peter said, no, Gentiles don't have to keep the law. Paul and Barnabas said, no, Gentiles don't have to keep the law and be circumcised. James has agreed, the prophets say that. They've all basically made the point. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We're all saved by faith and God means for Gentiles to be a part of the kingdom. Now, it, then he says in verse 19, that we, verse 20, that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollution's idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. So just, first of all, just let's get our head around this. What they're all agreeing is, no, the Gentiles don't have to do something. They don't have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. But James says, but well, let's write to them and say what they do have to do. They have to abstain from fornication. They have to abstain from idols. They have to abstain from blood. And then he gives the reason why we should do that. He says, for Moses from generations of old has in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And that can sound like a non sequitur. Moses is read in every city. So let's write to the Gentiles that they have to abstain from certain things. How how does one follow the other? And. I think the key is in recognize. so first of all, Chase, you've probably come across this. The popular idea, F.F. F. Bruce promotes this idea, if I recall, and various other scholars promote this idea, is that what James is doing here is he's saying, okay, we're gonna let the Gentiles in, but we're gonna ask the Gentiles to Go along with certain Jewish things, not that they're really required things, but let's just ask the Gentiles to stay away from certain things just to keep peace with the Jews. I see two big problems with that take on on what is, James is, is. Is that is
1: that what's known as the new perspective on Paul? No, or is that something completely
0: different? Okay, completely different. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but I, I see two big problems with that. First of all it doesn't make sense in a chapter in a context where the whole point is don't place burdens on the gentiles that god didn't place on them to then say but we are going to place these burdens on you even though god didn't place them on you right yeah that seems it doesn't make sense secondly it doesn't make sense because it treats things like idolatry and fornication as okay we just ask you not to do it so you upset the jews now now now, the way that gets argued is this they say well when he talks about idolatry he's talking about what paul said in first corinthians 8 he's talking about going into the idol temple and eating things sacrificed to idols and the way this gets argued is paul was saying that's okay it's only inadvisable because you're going to cause somebody to stumble if you do it. Well, that's a misreading of 1 Corinthians 8 through 10.
1: But I was going to say through 10 because he clears that up in chapter 10.
0: You're right. Because in chapter 10, he says you can't do it. Um, yeah, But but they come away with the impression that Paul is just saying, okay, there's nothing really wrong with it except that you're going to cause somebody to stumble. No, that's not true. Paul says you cannot do it. And, and so, but they... Turn over to 1 Corinthians 8 and argue that, see, there was this thing about participating in or eating things sacrificed to titles. It was really okay, but it's not good if it caused somebody to stumble. And that's what James is saying here. So, but even if you could make that work, and you can't, that's not, that's wrong. Even if you could say that's what it means by abstaining from idolatry here, what do you do with fornication? Are we supposed to conclude that fornication was okay he's just asking the gentiles not to commit fornication because it'll upset the yeah. jews and 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 here's how they deal with that they argue that well the fornication here is not talking about general fornication it's just talking about incest and um amongst the jews that was frowned upon but it was really all right uh, if if you married your Brother or sister, or whatever. And so he's just asking them not to do that to keep the Jews happy. James is not asking Gentiles to refrain from certain practices just to keep from offending Jews. You come down in the text, and when they write this letter, here's what they say when they write this letter to the Gentiles telling them to refrain from these things. It says in verse 28 It seemed good to the Holy Spirit unto us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things this is from the holy spirit and the holy spirit sees these as requirements as necessary so it it makes no sense to suppose that in a context where the whole point is don't place burdens on the gentiles that god hasn't placed on them like circumcision that then they would go ahead and write a letter but we do want to place these burdens on you which god hasn't required that right that god
1: is not required so What I think is going on, it sounds like you do too, is these are tenets from the Old Testament and from the law that James is saying, these are in the new law. Okay, These are things that were in the old law that you also have to follow in the new covenant.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. right. And and, and here's where they are. They're in Leviticus 17 and 18. These four topics in the order that James addresses them in the letter. You'll notice that when he mentions them, first of all, Acts chapter 15, the order is, uh, pollution's vitals, fornication, what's strangled, and blood. But when they put pen to paper and they write the letter, they change the order. Why would they do that? The order is now in verse 29 abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what's strangled, and from fornication. Why would they change the order? Because they are now putting them in the order in which they are found in Leviticus 17 through 18. And, and here's the key. When you go to Leviticus 17 and 18, you you see uh, idolatry dealt with in chapter 17, and then you see um, you you see uh, blood uh, don't eat the blood, and then improper slaughtering is dealt with, and then you get to chapter 18, and you see all kinds of sexual sin, fornication being dealt with, and then you get to the end of Leviticus uh, 18, and here's what it says: the end of verse uh, at the end of Leviticus 18, starting in verse 24. Uh, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these, the nations, the Gentiles, which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have visited its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. We skip down to verse um, 29. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among his people. Uh, Thus you are to keep my charge, and you are not to do the not to practice any of the abominable abominable customs which have been practiced before you, that is, by the nations who were in the land. What do we learn here? The things here in this context being discussed, God held the pagans, the Gentiles, accountable for. And you'll remember God said to Abraham, their iniquity is not yet full. At this point, Mm -hmm. it, it, it is. And God's driving them out because of their iniquity. What things in particular, these things that James alludes to that are mentioned here in in this section of Leviticus. So it makes sense that if you're going to write to Gentiles, see, Gentiles were not required to keep the Passover. Gentiles were not required to keep the seventh day Sabbath. There, There were a lot of things in the law of Moses. Gentiles were not required to do. Gentiles were not required to circumcise their boys on the eighth day. So James is gonna say, let's write a letter saying you don't have to keep the law of Moses. But if I'm a Gentile and I'm becoming a Christian and I'm wondering, do I have to keep the law of Moses or not? And all somebody says is, no, the law of Moses is not applicable to you. I'm gonna think, oh, good. Then those, that stuff in Leviticus 17 and 18, I can do because it's not applicable to me. But those partic- particular topics are things that God held everybody accountable for, even before the law of Moses. And so James, is which saying, is why he it. says,
1: and which is why he says in verse twenty one since ancient times Moses has been proclaimed in the synagogues.
0: that's right. He's saying that the Gentiles know what's in the law of Moses because Moses has been proclaimed in all the synagogues in every city for however long. and so Gentiles know what's in the law. And so if all we say is, you don't have to do the things in the law. you don't have to keep the law, then we're going to leave them with the impression that they can practice fornication and, and idolatry and eat blood and so james says let's just remind them there are certain things mentioned in the law which they have to observe not because it's in the law but because god's always held everybody accountable mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense to me all right let's So, uh, let me, how we did it on time we're in good shape
1: yeah so let me let, let's talk about this for just a second so in verse 22 the apostles and the elders and the whole church decided to select a man who were among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, mm-hmm. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. And then mm-hmm. you get into that letter you already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, why, do, why do you think they send a couple of additional guys and not just Paul and Barnabas?
0: You tell me, I'm not I, I had never really thought to ask that I, I, a thought comes to mind, but it's just off the cuff. So I think you've got a thought already.
1: I do. I've just always thought I've always appreciated how above board the New Testament apostles and elders in the churches try to be anytime there is a sensitive topic at hand, whether it be with finances or whether it be with information like this. And so I think it's just an above board ability of, of sending two guys that were kind of removed from it, not Paul and Barnabas showing back up and going, yeah, we're good guys. Don't worry about it. But Two additional people who can come and say no. Th- this is what happened. Uh, this is what was decided. But also, um, you notice in verse um, in verse twenty four of this letter they wrote, mm-hmm. it says, "Since we heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, right?" They they include it in the letter. That no, we did not send those people that came that said they came from Jerusalem, right. and so I think Silas and Judas could have attested to that even further, um, oh, and just good. kind of yeah, kind of shown that, that that this really is the
0: case. So yeah, that makes maybe sense. that's not why, but that that's what comes in my mind. No, it makes a lot of sense here. Um, okay, so they send this letter, and it's not only taken to Antioch, but also to Syria and Cilicia. Uh, all these places where a lot of Gentiles are being converted, and um, so these brethren take take the letter up there. Anything else we want to say about any of that?
1: I mean, I think it is fascinating. In James, uh, he begins his letter with greetings, and then here this letter is also began with greetings at the end of verse twenty three. So,
0: and 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 um, the form of this letter is is it just follows the form of ancient letters i I have right over here on my bookshelf a couple of volumes in which there's a lot of uh first second century documents uh including letters that people would write and they follow this form both the beginning uh where like paul's letters when he writes he identifies himself paul a servant of jesus christ he identifies those to whom he is writing in his letter but the other aspect of this letter, the other feature that is so similar to the ancient letters that I have in this volume over here is the conclusion is the conclusion that how it's translated in this version is fare ye well, but it's a Greek word erosav, which is the typical conclusion um in, in, in ancient letters. It's just I, it's fascinating to me. But anyway, cool. okay. Uh, so verse 30. So when they were dismissed, they came down to Antioch, they went north, but it's down from Jerusalem and having gathered the multitude together they delivered the epistle and when they had read it they rejoiced for the mine says encouragement as you say encouragement Can I, I i get that suppose you're this church up in antioch and all these gentiles are becoming christians and now you've got these people come in from jerusalem saying you've got to be circumcised you got to keep the law of Moses, and there's a controversy about it and there's a discussion and debate and paul and barnabas don't have any doubts about it, but still some of these new brethren, well, what are we to make of this? And then you get the word, those guys who told you that they were off the rock there, they were off their rocker. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. this is wrong. <laughs> That's gratifying. All
1: right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think, I think it would be very encouraging. And I do like the trend that you said, consolation. Is that uh-huh. what it said? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I would be very consoled by that. You know, I'm saved. Uh, It's for sure. Um, Yeah. So in verse 32, both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. And after spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch teaching and proclaiming the word of God. So, right. kind of a, a sweet end, a good end to a, a good story.
0: Yeah. All right. So that's that. So we've covered Paul and Barnabas's first journey in chapters thirteen and fourteen, and then we then we discuss this controversy that comes up about circumcision, and they go down to Jerusalem and deal with that, and then they go back to Antioch of Syria, and then we get to verse thirty-six, and it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let's return now and visit the brethren in every city wherein we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they fare." So, in other words, he's saying, let's let's do that trip we did back in church chapters 13 and 14 again and just check up on them. Mm-hmm. Well, where did they go? They, they went first to the island of Cyprus and then they went up to Turkey and, and through those cities. And now Paul is proposing, let's go back and do that again. But in verse 37, Barnabas was minded to take with them John also, who's called Mark. Now, we remember meeting this fellow um i think it was back at the end of acts chapter 11 no, at the end of acts chapter 12 where paul and barnabas had picked him up in jerusalem and he'd gone with them to antioch and then he goes on the trip with them in chapters 13 14 except that well and that's where his mom's house is where they were praying when peter gets out of prison that's right back in acts 12 that's right but in acts chapter 13 uh is it chapter 13 or early in? 14? yeah i think that's good to reference
1: because it, it's like a real small mention it's just like luke is like yeah john mark leaves but he doesn't get into the details as to why right right um yeah we're both off our feet it's now let's 13, see here yeah it's chapter 13 in verse four uh verse
0: uh 13. paul and his company set sail from Paphos, that's on the island of cyprus and they came to Perga in Pamphylia, which is the southern coast of Turkey. And John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. So yeah, he didn't call finish the trip with them. So now right. in chapter 15 is they're talking about redoing this trip. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark again. It says in verse 38 of Acts chapter 15, Paul thought not good to take with them him who withdrew from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Barnabas was very much minded to so the solution what what solution did they come up with they ended up going two different ways Uh, it
1: says that there was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and so they're like there's not going to be a a compromise to this or a resolution and so they go two different ways and Barnabas takes Mark and they go to Cyprus but Paul takes Silas and they go on their way through um, Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches
0: I think it gives just a little bit of a sense of the, misunderstanding, of the, of the disagreement here. This was not such a, a heated disagreement that they just both just stormed off and went and did what they want. They divided up the trip that they'd previously made. The first part of the earlier trip, they went to Cyprus. And the second part, they went up to Turkey. So now what are they going to do? Well, Barnabas is going to take uh, John Mark, and he's going to go to Cyprus. And Paul is going to take Silas and he's going to go up to Turkey. So they split up what, what, and I'm not trying to say they didn't have a strong disagreement that they did, but it wasn't such a strong disagreement that they couldn't work together to say, okay, let's split the trip up. I'll take this half. You take that half. And, and they went to separate ways.
1: Yeah. And so let me ask you this, who, who was right?
0: You know, I don't think there's an answer to that <laughs>
1: yeah i know I, and that's the point that i'm making is I, yeah. I don't i don't think anybody was right i i see where paul was coming from and I, I can't imagine what it would be like you know to be paul on these preaching trips and just thinking about the the opportunities that come up to teach the gospel to somebody and paul's got a group of people with him so that he can farm them out to go talk to people about the gospel and then John Mark bails on him and he's like, yeah. I was relying on him and I I, I don't want to run into that problem again. And so I don't really want to work with him in that capacity yeah. again. And I I understand where Paul is coming from, but also I understand where Barnabas is coming yeah. from, where he's like, hey, man, let's give him another chance. I mean, that was a while ago. Why are you just assuming he's going to do that again? I don't think either of them are wrong or sinful. Right. I think both of them have valid Ways of looking at it, and so they go different ways for the sake of the gospel.
0: I think so. you're right. It is interesting. A couple of things we do think about. Barnabas is is that's his nickname, and it was given to him as son of encouragement. And it it was a it. You see his character. He's somebody who is very positive, very uh, quick to vouch for somebody. He vouched for Saul, Paul himself, when people thought he was still a persecutor, and um, and so maybe it's not too too surprising that Barnabas would be the one who say, let's give him another chance. But also over in Colossians four, excuse me, what do we find out, hmm, excuse me, what do we find out over in Colossians chapter four about Barnabas and Mark? Uh, are they cousins or brothers? Cousins. I can't remember. They're cousins. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so there's, there's a couple of reasons why it's not too surprising that Mark would be more favorably inclined to give John Mark another chance. Um, than Paul was on this occasion, but I think you're absolutely right. Neither one of them was wrong. Um, this was a judgment call and they had different judgments and, and their disagreement here wasn't such that they couldn't speak highly of one another. Later on, Paul speaks highly of Barnabas later on. Um, yeah. But it was just, you know what, yeah. let's just split this work up. You take that and you go with John Martin. I'll, I'll take this part and I'll go with Silas. Well, Paul not only speaks highly of Barnabas, like you said, but he speaks highly of John Mark.
1: At the, the, One of the last letters we have, he'll say uh, in prison, he'll say, only Luke is with me, but bring Mark with you for he is yeah. useful to me in the ministry. And so I don't think it was ever that Paul doubted that John Mark had usefulness. He just didn't want to utilize him in this way. Yeah. And I understand that. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's a, it's it's a good thing to see, though, because we're going to have disagreement. And the Lord allowed that to happen. He didn't intervene and tell them how to handle it. He let them work through that and the Lord is going to let us work through our disagreements with each other in a godly way and a good result can happen from it.
0: And, and the Holy Spirit saw fit to tell us this. Um, yeah. which you, you, there's a lesson here for us. Sometimes you're going to have disagreements and and that's all right. You can work it out. So one, one last thing, this John Mark, uh, apparently, I think you would probably assume the same thing. The indications are that he is the same Mark who writes the gospel of Mark. So that's my understanding. Yeah, I think you yeah. mentioned that when we were back in Acts chapter eleven or twelve. So
1: yeah, and I also think this would be the same mark that's mentioned. Is it's either at the end of First Peter or Second Peter? I think it's First Peter. First yeah, Peter. First Peter five. Yeah, he uh, she who is in Babylon, chosen together, you sends you greetings, as done as does Mark, my son. Yeah. Um So Peter had a specifically close relationship with John Mark, and. As I read the gospel of Mark, there are some things I read that really make me think that Peter was influencing Mark's Mm -hmm.
0: telling Mm -hmm. of things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. several things come together there. Okay, so next week, then we'll get on into the account of Paul and and Silas's trip as they head up into Turkey and they'll get to Lister and pick up Timothy. And there we go. We'll pick it up. Thanks a lot, Chase. And uh, all of you We look forward to having you join us again next week, Lord willing.